Hi there, my name is Paul McAnallen and you're very welcome to the Shift Control Podcast. I'm delighted to be able to bring you as the first guest on um, the podcast, a series of podcasts. There's a guy called Damien Cranny. Damien is the CEO and Creative Director at Big Motive, um, a Belfast-based creative technology studio. Damien had just come back from the South by Southwest Expo in Austin, Texas, um, where this year the big buzzword seems to be virtuality, virtual reality, augmented reality, and everything else in between. So um, I had a, an hour's worth of a conversation with Damien, who has shared some of his insights into this space and how virtuality can be used in business, um, customer experience, and user engagement. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. This is the first um, podcast for me. Um, apologies for any technical glitches, because I'm sure there will be some. Um, it's a challenging enough uh, experience to uh, edit and produce but I hope um, you appreciate that it's all about the content and the content in this episode is is uh, some of the very best so um, I'd like to thank Damien for coming along I hope you enjoy this as I say if you want to catch up with me I'm on shift-control.co.uk or on twitter um, at shiftcontrol66 so yeah thanks again and I'll talk to you soon. All right Damien thanks very much for taking time out we've had this in a uh, a to-do list for quite some time, but I'm fortunate I've got you on the tail end of South by Southwest. So, um, after you, tell us all about that. It's been on your... Um, yes, sorry, it's been on mine, yeah. yeah. Um, quite some time, Paul. The art of persuasion, um, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. South by Southwest is... Um, um, well, it's on every year, you know, and apparently it's, it's been going for 25, 30 years now. I don't know how long. I think it was a, originally a music um, conference. Um, and any kind of music fans or people that have been to the music conference for years and years would probably listen to me, you know, say this and think I'm a complete philistine. But um, seemingly South by has kind of the, the interactive part of South by Southwest as a as a global conference has become, you know, more pervasive. Uh, you know, a, a thing that kind of is held up globally as sort of the, the place to be. You know, um, I've been saying that our team here that. Uh, going out to Austin for five or six days and, and doing the kind of the four days of the conference it's a bit like it's like traveling into the future like it's, it's literally like going 10 years ahead maybe not 10 years but certainly kind of like getting I mean it's the place where everybody converges to talk about the stuff that's new and emergent and that's the investment community it's creative studios it's startups but it's also the manufacturers and the analysts and kind of the people that are you know knee deep in research. So it's so give it give us some scale then. So in terms of numbers, in terms of space occupied, what is, what does it look like for those people that haven't been there? I mean, I uh, someone was asking me this the other day. I must I must do my homework on you know uh, delegates and certainly kind of those you know people like Invest NI who have vested interest and support you know companies startups from Northern Ireland that are sort of going out there. So those guys would have all the stats on, you know, how big it is and the kind of reach. I mean, practically, um, you, you, you fly into Austin, right, which is the kind of the, the, the sort of, it's the New York of the South. You know, it's the kind of the one little liberal enclave in the Lone Star State. You could San Antonio and Houston and Dallas, and then you've got Austin. Um, very outdoorsy culture, very kind of um, progressive kind of technology and startup culture now um, and a kind of a creative city you know in terms of kind of its, its sort of music and, uh, and tech scene but going there it's uh, you've got downtown Austin Convention Centre 
um, we're in Belfast here, so you know, for me, it kind of feels like about ten times the size of Castle Court. Um, you know what that is. Um, and you at any point in time, you'll have like from programming that runs from nine a.m. in the morning to like six p.m. in the evening, and they produce a schedule and an app version of the schedule every year and there's maybe like about 20 different things that you can see on the hour every hour for five days solid and that continues all the way through so there's there's, there's three tracks there's, there's interactive which is four to five days and there's a crossover day and there's music and then running right across the top of that is film um, so you've got extensive programming and really overwhelming and designed to overwhelm you know you can't one person I mean even 10 people from a team couldn't possibly see everything that's that's on I don't know why they do that but you know mm-hmm. so you have to pick and choose um, so that's a convention centre you know there's maybe like about sort of five or six rooms and about 20 smaller rooms and then you've got the Marriott the Hilton the Marriott Courtyard the Westin da 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 each of the hotels downtown, each of those maybe sort of twenty to forty rooms. I mean, it's it's beyond fast. The only thing that the, the only um, my only connection with that space would have been the music scene. Yeah. Um, I know this year that Ryan Adams and the Avett brothers had a or head were headlining. Yeah. And for me, they were. I think the Avett brothers headlined about five or six years ago as well. So yeah, that's kind of um, pioneering as well. But so that's the, that uh, your time. In uh, in Austin is a snapshot for or an overview of the next ten years. What what does that look like? What what's the standard thing? What do you take back? And well, it's my third time um, out there, and it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I chat with some guys. It's all about networking. I mean, you go there and you get to catch up with people who you know, um, people here in our space who started here and are kind of further afield, and um, other people that we kind of know within our sort of network spend a bit of time over in London, clients, etc, etc. Um, and it's interesting, I came across more than one person who would say, and there's one individual who we're doing some work with and, and saying, you know, 10th time in Austin, 10 years in a row. And you're like, really? You know, and that, that's the event that you go to, you know, above all else, like you prioritise that one, really? And, um, and he said, yeah, you know, you, you kind of go there every year. Like literally like getting Glastonbury tickets, the tickets come out, mm-hmm. you straight on, on online, get the tickets, kind of take your pick of like the hotels and downtown. And um, it, it's, it, Adam is name, he kind of said like, you go there and he's like inspired for like nine months of the year. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. I mean, my first experience of South by Southwest was four years ago. And I can remember coming back thinking that we knew some stuff and, and, and trying to join the dots in terms of the strategic direction of Big Motive and what we're doing, what we're interested in. And uh, I remember actually putting together a presentation and, and talking to three or four clients. Um, I mean, we went into the BBC and they, they assembled a team of about 20 people and we just kind of paraphrased a whole bunch of stuff that we saw at South by Southwest. <laughs> and they couldn't wait to get all these people in BBC Northern Ireland in a room from from production, from digital, from kind of their online kind of team, and uh, to really listen to kind of me talking about here's a bunch of stuff that we heard. That's really really. So there's a, there's a degree of privilege to having been there. In the same way, if you I get so. if you go to Glastonbury and you're into your music and you want to see you two or Bruce Springsteen in the final night, it's a privileged audience at that moment. Is it's it's very. <sighs> you know, expertly curated. Um, I think they kind of led the charge on the, the, the format, you know, the, the kind of panel discussions, even down to kind of, you know, crowdsourcing content and 
um, you know, potential audience, like delegates kind of voting up what they'd like to hear. So mm-hmm. it gets to quite a granular level where you've got um, content producers, people vying for positions on panels who will pitch ideas. So, so you get kind of a high degree of relevancy when you go there if you've actually mm-hmm. kind of been part of a panel picking process. Yeah. And that's really competitive. Um, so so it, for me, um, it's all about the networking. It's all about kind of the learning and the stuff in between. You know, there are big trends. There's stuff that you hear about that just bubble up to the surface. So back to your original question, like what does the next 10 years look, look like? I mean, I am not an expert, but um, Kevin Kelly, who is pretty famous dude, founder of Wired magazine is probably what he's most well known for, but he's um, you know, a futurist, a designer, an economist, um, a sort of journalist, editorial background. Um, and he is, um, he's kind of the author of, of marketing concepts like A Thousand True Fans, which is a really famous blog post that he wrote about 10 years ago, um, post long tail, um, to, to really talk about how to, how to break into um, how bands can kind of break basically mm-hmm. and that you know if they kind of identify their 1000 true fans that's kind of all you need to do um, and, I, and I think that's kind of a fascinating article for anyone in marketing to, to appreciate some of, the, some of the things that he's talking about there um, so 1000 true fans and also then quantified self which is a sort of a, a, a trend that he identified and you know, developed a kind of a working group on a website and a kind of a whole kind of um, thread around thought leadership related to how consumers in the future um, would begin to kind of track personal data and how that personal data could be made valuable um, in, in terms of kind of, you know, choice, in terms of kind of, you know, accessing better products and services, in terms of releasing it to, to you know, service providers. Um, so... So that's who he is. Um, he was, he's just about to launch a book. I mean, you get a lot of people that are out there who are kind of, you know, pushing their next book. I mean, um, and um, or kind of promoting, you know, a, um, you know, new product release or whatever, which is which is fine. So he was a keynote speaker, and five thousand people in the room, and his book is like the twelve um, big things that are going to change your life in the next ten years. So his talk was on the top three, um, and we were chatting about this earlier. Um, the three were, if I can kind of remember this correctly, so artificial intelligence, so machine learning, right? Okay. You know, um, number one, number two, virtuality, which is the sort of gamut between augmented reality and VR, and um, very hot topic, obviously. And the third one was tracking. Mm. Um, so, let's just go in reverse there, okay? Just start. Okay. Start. And um, um, I was reading an article in um, uh, one of the uh, sports tech magazines and, and they talk about how, so online uh, on, on field athletes are tracked for performance gps how they run heart rate and everything else they're also tracked at night to assess sleeping patterns and and when you're spending so much money on an athlete like a hundred thousand pounds a week you want to optimize their performance but uh, some players in liverpool for example might have an addiction to PlayStation, so they've got really punctuated sleep, and as a result, they in a 90-minute soccer game, the last 10 minutes, they're ineffective and they get taken off. So sports scientists are trying to work out how uh, to help that. Um, sports tech, we're talking then about um, how the athlete off-field, they plot they, um, and track the success of the athlete as a brand. 
So you're talking about, and this is not something that's been done recently, it's been done um, for quite some time, you know, people negotiate contracts predicated on their brand value as an individual. Beckham selling shirts is a really lo-fi example of that, and yeah. he would go in and renegotiate that. Tracking in the context that we were talking about earlier is just really frightening, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, be careful what you wish for, would be what I would say, but... Um, so, I mean, you're exactly right, and, and there, it's, it's quite... Um, it's quite a divisive word because your immediate association, I mean, most people when they hear the word tracking, they think that of enemy being, of the state, it's enemy of the state, yeah, state yeah. Here. So, like, you're like wearing some sort of collar on your ankle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and somebody somewhere has some sort of LCD monitor and there's a little kind of red blip, you know, and that represents, but, it, but isn't there <laughs> already? <laughs> That's you. Yeah, I know it's a red blip. So, yeah. so the, 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 there's, there's two sides to it, really. Um, um, uh, there's that kind of sense of um, Orwellian kind of, you know, spyglass, it's Big Brother, we're all being watched, and, you know, that information is being used um, for kind of, you know, malevolent purposes. And, you know, it's, it's quite negative. And, and, and then the other, the, the flip side to that is think about what e-commerce has done with tracking because tracking is kind of a broad term and that means to me i think um like record recording data okay like recording history and sure there's a sort of a very kind of jack bar cia kind of like you know association with that but also um e-commerce sites use cookies um, they used kind of like you know user behavior that happens within a logged in state to basically kind of make better recommendations to you, mm. you know. So, so, so you know, on one side, I just made some notes there. You know, it, it, there are questions about data protection and cybersecurity, but the flip side of that is that well, actually, tracking is just about behavior analysis in order to provide a better experience. You know, so I, so I, so I think what I'm trying to say there is, I think, I think going back. Um, advertising invented the concept of branding to help consumers make better choices um, in an environment where competition was rife and suddenly we had so many choices. So, you know, from the sort of the um, industrial revolution where you kind of, you, know, you bought products to perform functional things, mm. um, then you had sort of competition which was invented by advertising and then the emergence of brands. So suddenly consumers made decisions based on kind of emotional reasons. And, and now where there's like a state of almost hyper abundance and, and new products and categories that are, we just can't keep up. So what happens then is if my data and my preferences are being tracked and there's a brand has a, or a service provider has a profile of me, then they're much more likely to be able to make me a kind of a better, more relevant recommendation, which means I don't have to see a whole bunch of other bullshit. That I might otherwise be exposed to. Does that make sense? Ah, uh, completely, and, and um, I think that's the which is quite a positive, massively, massively. But at the same time, without even flipping the coin, you could ring Naomi Klein and ask her view on that, and you'd see, you know, that that the other flip to that would be that there's a control um, of information that's outside of your control. So you're getting led in a direction that ultimately you're not sure whether you want to go or not, and you become uh, acclimatized to being led by the brand or, or the thinking of advertisers and corporates. Which, if you whittle it down, only boils down to about maybe a hundred different companies globally making the decisions on your behalf. Yeah. So, so it's I, I was speaking to 
I asked the question in a really elongated fashion of um, Bill Daly at Icons. I said, are we getting the movies we want or the movies you want us to want? So you've got the Marvel movies, you've got Taken 1, 2 and 3, and that's a formulaic thing that the, the movie houses can create because they know they've got the research, they've got their tracking, they've got their forecasting, and it's easy. But are those the movies we really want in the 21st century? When the technology that's coming up is available, you'll see a pivot from Taken 1, 2 and 3 to some different experience because the technology will be there. So you'll be buying the products that you think you want, is what I think with tracking. My, my concern would be that you buy a, a BMW or an Audi pre-tracked and you'll end up getting all of those kinds of communications. It, it doesn't mean that product and services will be automated and kind of, you know, mass produced in a factory and we'll suddenly, you know, lose any kind of capability of making, you know, being discerning. But it does mean that in an age of abundance, um, we will... Um, I mean, so digital marketing for, for the last 10 years has been kind of, you know, scored on, uh, I mean, the effectiveness has been scored on relevancy. That's how Google PageRank works. Um, so, you know, Google rewards service providers for how their pages index, you know, the relevant content. You know, if there's, if there's content on the site that matches a search term, mm. then you get a better ranking, right? End of. So, so, so the, the positive spin on this is that it, it will kind of it, it forces kind of service providers to kind of get smarter about who they're selling to and to develop new products and services based on what people actually want. It still needs to be creative. There still needs to be some art. Yeah. As consumers and users of these products and services, we still really engage our right brain, right? Which is why products like Instagram are so successful. I mean, it's yeah. a purely kind of right brain kind of interaction. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, a great line that stuck out with me from Kevin Kelly's presentation, a slide, um, was, he, and, and, and he, he told it very eloquently, which was, you know, uh, I've been thinking about a lot about this, and exactly to that point, you know, the negativity and the sort of the fear associated with a big trend like tracking, like what does it mean? Are we going to lose our privacy? And, and his um, wonderful observation was, you know, when it comes to tracking, what I found was, and the slide popped up and there were three words, um, vanity trumps privacy. Awesome, yeah, yeah. That's right, and, and what he's talking about is, is basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, we could all get hot and bothered about kind of Big Brother and kind of losing our sense of privacy, but actually we're quite happy with sharing our lives on Facebook. And Instagram. So just suck it up and get on with it. And and you know, yeah. Facebook are a unicorn, you know, there's much smarter people than me that will tell you kind of how huge that company is and the mega growth yeah. they've experienced, you know, and the ultimate pivot into mobile advertising in the last kind of three years. Um, and 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 they know everything. Um yeah. and um so so it's kind of interesting, you know, it's that we, we needn't get all hot and bothered about tracking. <laughs> Well, I think it's just me to be honest in a room of two people I feel underwhelmed with um, no but I, I think that an important thing is to context you know because you're just coming back from five days in South by Southwest and you're going oh yeah tracking and that's out of context asking you the question but you were immersing yourself in the context and even then you weren't fully immersed in the context it was a snapshot of thinking so um, there's always we'll, another layer. We'll have another. We'll have a chat about that some other day. Um, <laughs> going on to the the I suppose the the main takeaway from and certainly and uh, before we discussed this today, I had a look at um, some of the uh, 
commentary from the experts about this year's event and it just seems to be AR and VR uh, is the big subject mm. virtuality mm-hmm. everybody's that's the big um, that's mm. the big subject what does that mean what 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 is that I mean it's uh, it's been around for years um, it, it's not uh, by no means a new technology what's new is that before now um, there wasn't the kind of processing speed the kind of the high fidelity displays or the affordability to deliver a kind of a compelling experience so so now uh, through smartphones, but also through processing power and kind of an innovation, um, it's becoming um, it's it's gonna hit the mainstream. Maybe maybe not this year, um, maybe this year, but but certainly next year. And and most people in 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 business, certainly in technology, are kind of aware that it's happening. So, I mean, m- my definition of virtual reality, augmented reality, is is exactly what it says on the tin. It's just that sort of capability to. Uh, experience content um, in a sort of a, a seemingly kind of virtual or second world. Um, it's this kind of, you know, augmented sense of um, experiencing, you know, it might be a game, maybe a film, um, but it's kind of that sort of, you know, being experiencing presence is, is the kind of word that's kind of, you know, used in the industry, you know, there's a sense of kind of yeah. you're actually there. Presence was that, um, that recurring word in the that podcast that I was listening to right. that we had mentioned um, and uh, some of the indicators although not just some random stuff that I'd throw out that um, it's not just about gaming right so pl- PlayStation and Sony are heavily involved and they've got a, um, a product coming out a headset coming out later but there are some really big players like mm-hmm. Facebook are right in the middle of all this aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah 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 so you've got I uh, would kind of split it down the middle and on one side would put the kind of the big manufacturers developing headsets. So we've got Oculus acquired by Facebook for two two billion um two years ago. And you've got the HTC Vive, which is at the sort of the top of the ladder, eight hundred dollars. And that's kind of the headset plus the kind of the motion tracking uh, kind of sensors that you kind of mount in the corner of the room. And then at the lower end you've got um the PlayStation VR, PSVR coming out, and um, which is really all about gaming. Um, and then on the other side of the fence, you've got mobile. So largely that's Samsung, Gear VR, and Google Cardboard. Um, on one side, you've got the big manufacturers who are, you know, very much kind of planting a flag on selling the headsets um, and going after kind of a, a very high fidelity kind of rich media experience linked to kind of gaming or, or whatever. And the mobile guys are really kind of saying, you know what, this is... We're going after the mass market, and why would we kind of build a kind of a you know um, a really expensive headset if we can actually reach a much bigger audience through their smartphones and their pockets? Mm-hmm. So the Samsung uh, Gear VR allows you to pop your smartphone into the headset and essentially create a, a similar experience to you know Oculus, albeit it's it's lower fidelity and there are some issues. Um, but that's really because it's using your smartphone to become the computer driving the content. Google are doing a similar thing. Um, Google Cardboard is basically a flat pack. Um, little device pops up into a kind of a, a viewer. You, you hold it up to your eyes rather than kind of being a head-mounted display. Um, but the two uh, lenses allow you to, you know, developers to create apps, to create content. But essentially what, what these apps do is kind of you know, split the content into two, two different screens. And the lenses kind of create a sense of kind of opposing viewpoints, which creates a sense of depth. 
Okay. Okay. So again, you know, very, very low-fi, highly accessible devices that are basically kind of transforming what everybody has in their pocket anyway. These kind of really powerful computers called smartphones with like, you know, more and more sensors than ever before and turning those into uh, a sort of a content delivery platform for virtual reality. And the, we mentioned earlier about the price of the Vive and the Oculus. And price is never really an impediment when it comes to this kind of technology. Certainly when the, uh, the storm that it's created, the conversation that it's created about it is very... People are, are quite excited about the prospect of the delivery. Oculus is only about, what, two or three months away? I, I believe so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not up on, on the kind of, you know, the, the release dates. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think with any emerging industry, certainly kind of a couple of years in, you might see um, different kind of classifications or kind of segmentation happening, right? So there's kind of a really premium experience, um, yeah, right down to the sort of the entry level stuff. Um, there's an interesting article that I read in the MIT Technology Review mm -hmm. talking about how you know Google's plans basically to kind of do away with all the VR manufacturers before they even get going. Um, it's sort of indicating a bit of a land grab, you know, and Google's sort of two-pronged approach is uh, Google Cardboard, but then also 360 video on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So that's obviously um, a big platform, um, you know, hundreds of millions of views on a daily basis. Um, and starting to kind of introduce 360 video that would allow anyone through Google Cardboard to, you know, both produce content and, and then kind of experience content. Um, as opposed to HTC Vive or Oculus that are sort of, you know, trying to kind of, you know, uh, engage a community of developers to produce content specifically for Oculus. Um, okay, yeah. So then if you're talking about the, the, you put gaming on one side and YouTube on the other, and that's, um, I suppose, the entertainment side of the world. I read somewhere that, and I, I don't know how to validate this because it is futurist chat, but the guy said that by the end of 2016, every one of the big blockbusters will have a 360 trailer. Mm. So that sector takes care of itself, I suppose. But, and you know, and talking a little bit about what you do and Big Motive and that, if you were going out to the market or going to uh, an industry sector or a business now to say, guess what, guys, this is a space that you need to be uh, trading in. Where do you go? Where do you point your nose right now? I mean... There, there's a lot of debate going on and a lot of excitement around VR and like, you know, uh, in one sense you could say, okay, is this, is this like 3D? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, is it, is it going to be something that people get excited about and then kind of it'll, it'll flame out? Um, there's another more um, sensible viewpoint that um, uh, it, it, it's, I mean, I read an interesting article by Chris Dixon in TechCrunch, he was talking about VR as the last medium. Right. And so what he was talking about is really that, you know, in, in future, kids may well kind of look back and, and view, um, you know, entertainment or con the content industry as the sort of, the, you know, all of the technology that happened up to the point of VR and then everything after that. Because essentially every medium that comes after VR can be recreated within a virtual world. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a bit of a head trip to think about. Um, so it's unlike... 3D or I just went mm -hmm. there, you know, <laughs> like so. Give us some depth there, just so I can benefit from <laughs> but it's, that. But it's, it's 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 more fundamental because there's a there's a you know genuine paradigm shift in 
being able to deliver an experience that actually you know creates that sense of presence that actually you know uh, fires your sort of amygdala you know you're kind of the reptilian brain to actually do you actually think that you're there yeah like there was a study done somewhere kind of an, an example of kind of a um a bunch of people that sort of you know played grand theft auto right um and uh you know there's a disassociation with what's actually happening there at a content level where there's like you know uh, there are prostitutes right there are kind of like there's death there's murder <laughs> there's grand theft auto um and and then you know how you would experience some of those scenarios in a virtual world so this is like simulated version of grand theft auto in in virtual world and and the research was and and, and the study and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this because i heard it second hand was that it was really shocking because mm-hmm. you know the the the, the uh, respondents or the kind of participants in the research study actually started to think that they had you know committed a murder or that they had witnessed a murder or that they had been privy to you know all kinds of you know despair <laughs> depravity and yeah. um, so so that's like incredibly powerful and there's a dark side to that um but there's also uh, a really powerful kind of upside in terms of you know how brands businesses you know entrepreneurs anyone can really um deal with issues like reach deal with you know communication like explaining things you know training people that otherwise would require kind of you know extremely high costs oh, yeah. and infrastructure yeah. you know yeah. so there, there's there's a kind of a breaking down of walls and a capacity to kind of actually kind of you know try before you buy so we, we talked about you know how sites like TripAdvisor right these aggregators of existing content that's all across the web and actually created new categories and businesses from basically kind of rating and reviewing um, products and services mm. right so like it's, it's a big deal and kind of anyone that's kind of booking a holiday or going away somewhere I mean imagine TripAdvisor being displaced by a virtual reality counterpart that allowed people to try before they buy I mean you you would put more um, uh, value I guess on actually being transported there before you actually got on a plane than reading someone's review or sifting through a hundred reviews. But absolutely, and, I, and one of the things that I've always... But, but it makes a lot of sense that brands are to be judged on their authenticity and this word engagement that you know, people use in, in even today's uh, landscape. Engagement means so many different things to everybody, but especially the customer. So if you consider walking into the old uh, ExtraVision shop on a Friday night and going... What would you recommend for tonight? You're asking a guy who works in a video store for a recommendation on a movie. Mm. So who's doing the trip advising? You know, is it somebody who's a professional holiday maker, who's a professional critic, who's just an old grumpy shit, who's berating somebody or who's... So authenticity is really key. And Mm. if you're able to deliver authenticity by this experiential, Mm. you know, let's not go to the Maldives. uh, Let's not go to TripAdvisor and check out the Maldives. Let's go to the Maldives for about 10 Mm. minutes here and see what the crack is. Mm. It changes the game completely. One of the intriguing parts of it for me is that whole space of training, which is something that that I I, I threaten to do occasionally. But if you're able to to train people, as you said, that they, so astronauts, Mm. deep sea divers, you know, uh, triple bypass, doctors, surgeons, all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. then it's a real game changer. Absolutely. I mean, anything that was associated with high risk, high cost, um, being able to, it's a bit like um, when you think about 
high visualization has been used in um, you know elite uh, sports or athletics and you know those case studies that we've all kind of read where you know two kind of athletes or two competitors you know in sort of opposing rooms you know one physically going through the motions of doing the exercise and one you know visualizing the exercise where their, their muscles were kind of firing at the right times in the right sequence and and that the intense focus that comes from visualization is as powerful, if not arguably more powerful, than actually going through the motions physically. Well, then, I think with the visualization, you're going so much deeper. So well, you go, much you're going deeper. so much deeper, but, but but also you know with, with the visualization, there's kind of low impact and there's kind of intense focus. Exactly. exactly. Whereas with actually kind of doing it, there's a sort of there's there's muscle memory that's being that's at play there, which is potentially damaging because you're kind of just going through the motions, you know. So so I think with 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 VR, um, there, there's certainly kind of a you know uh, demonstration of you know that being a, a powerful way to um, offset cost and potential risk. So things like for sure uh, surgery, um, there's some it's being used to kind of train engineers that would sort of you know uh, work on oil rigs for example. You know where there's a sort of a, I mean there's travel there's logistics there's, there's costs associated with that. Um, so I think that's going to become um, another, another use case. Um, I, I, just, I just see, uh, you know, I think gaming's the killer app for VR, clearly. You know, if you can kind of remove the, the, the screen layer and actually transport yourself inside the world of a game. So whether you're, it's a first-person shooter or it's some sort of level-up game, you're, you're in there, you're experiencing it. Um, so from an entertainment standpoint, that's the killer app. But I think also... I see it as a sort of a, a an opportunity layer that actually spans every industry. You know, I think I think it's I think many businesses, you know, products and service providers will will be sort of thinking about VR as 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 something that can augment, you know, how they do what they do, mm. you know, how they go about developing new products, how they deliver service to their customers, their partners, whomever. and in that it's it's a way of really kind of enhancing the communication piece of that. Um, or even just delivering kind of content or experiences direct to consumers. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I think it's, it is obviously the you know it goes without saying it's a shoehorn for the entertainment industry and yeah. you know but, but the other considerations you know from five um, G networks, four uh, K broadcasting, uh, data, big data, and everything else. Wider implications. You know, it's it, it's just everything's getting bigger. Yeah. You know and and. With that, the risk and reward thing is very evident as well. Taking it back into um, what Big Motive do in the space that you operate in, um, who are you working with at the minute that would be interested or are dabbling in this kind of space that you can talk about? Well, we, I mean, our two big sectors uh, are really, I guess, that sort of entertainment media space. Um, we were also doing some interesting things in um, health and fitness, uh, kind of well being. So, I mean, again, you know, um, I guess kind of both of those um, worlds have, have sort of, you know, uh, implications or opportunities in VR. I mean, it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's obvious we're working with the um, content owners um, at the moment, you know, kind of production company with their own IP and exploring a, a, um, a game, a mobile game um, for kids. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge opportunity. Um, BBC have been a client of Big Motors for many, many years. Um, again, they're kind of thinking hard. In actual fact, I uh, attended a, an event 
last summer, last summer, just going back to, you know, yeah, 2015, summer 2015, Ralph Rivera, who's their head of digital, kind of stood up and said, the B, you know, VR is going to be a significant um, format for the BBC, you know, going forward in the next few years. And I remember leaving that event in Media City in Manchester thinking, you know, when the BBC use words like format, that's a pretty big deal. You know, they're actually mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, you know, they're seeing where audiences are going, you know, they're fully aware of their obligation to kind of deliver news content and to deliver um, meaningful artistic content, you know, that educates and inspires and all those pillars that they talk about. Um, they're so they're lucky, the BBC, I, and I think they're, you know, they've had their trials this last four or five years on, on a number of different levels, but as an organisation that continually can invest in the next big thing, when you see the traditional media are just falling flat on their ass mm. and, and unable to, to understand what to do next and print, and other broadcasters who just don't have that financial clout and the ability to push forward and, and, and invest and know that... BBC really don't have a choice. They have to go in that direction. Yeah. They have to go for the next big thing because they'll become obsolete. And in the world of media, especially today, you can't afford that. You know, so it's a logical progression for them. Yeah. To yeah. go that way. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I love the but BBC. But the money, but, all, but the money. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're 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 a, a client, a valued client of Big Motors. I mean, we love the BBC. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't tee, say that. I didn't tee that up in such a way that you could but, say but, anything else. But, but, but I, I, I know that they, whilst, you know, 17,000 employees, you know, they've got the reach, they've got the capability. Um, uh, you're also into kind of a large corporation that have challenges around pace and speed uh, of development, yeah. right? And, and, and kind of, you know, layers of kind of, you know, management and kind of budget control. And you know these restrictive forces that hold companies up um, and prevent innovation. That's right. You know, that's so right. so and and and, that, and that's the kind of age old sort of argument, right? You know, you got like small nimble startup that can just kind of you know get to market, get an MVP, get it in the hands of users, testing it, getting feedback, and validating their thoughts, yeah. versus um, you know a, a large kind of content or publishing organization who yeah. essentially you know will de-risk everything before they pursue innovation. That's true, yeah. And you think of the uh, redundancies that they've gone, they've gone through just corporate uh, challenge yeah. like anybody else. And at the same time, they have to uh, sort of increase their relevance to the next generation beyond the one, beyond, beyond yeah. the one, you know? Yeah. So it's a challenge, challenge for them. And it's, a, it's probably, you know, it goes without saying that it's a testament to the offering that you can provide and the value that you give, but they want to, do the partnership thing and work with you. So fair play to you. I get the feeling from the you know a client that's like that and some of the other work that we've talked about that your your uh, interests very much lie beyond the island of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, big motive is uh, uh, we've been going like nine or ten years. Um, in fact, I think this is our tenth year. Um, and um, we it's 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 probably taken kind of I mean, in the last few years. Um, we're at a point now where all, if not most, of our clients are across the water. Yeah, in largely London and some kind of up north. Um, and and I mean that was kind of initially a conscious decision, I guess. Um, sort of uh, largely kind of based on sort of opportunities for to do more exciting work. I mean, we just, we just want to do really cool things in digital. Um, you know, cool ideas, great briefs. Yeah. I mean, it sounds whimsical, but I mean, there's there's, there's some um, 
there's some deeper thoughts around strategic direction behind that that idea um largely kind of based on you know uh, i think people do their best work when they're inspired um i think it's really there's an obligation on people like me who are kind of at the helm of you know creative teams to find uh, opportunities for creative people to to really uh, flex that muscle um, so actually you know the reputation that we have the work that we bring in is relative to you know the talent of the people we can attract mm-hmm. um, so so that means you know where are you going to go looking for the greatest briefs and the most exciting opportunities and the and and the, the chances to do really cool stuff that feels like it's kind of the next big thing even if it isn't you know, th- there's a kind of a curiosity um, that we're obliged to kind of, um, you know, bring to every project and, and, and try to kind of maximize, you know, the creative potential of these things using technology. So we just find there's more of that in London. If you were, but if you were, so part of what I'm trying to do here is reach out to those people that are starting up and sort of businesses who want to, to uh, learn by, not the mistakes of others, but the direction taken by others. Yeah. Um, you know, is it? Did you have to finally? Did you have to? Did you have to learn by trading in Belfast and maybe Dublin for four or five years, uh, delivering the service and everything else to realize that, or was it always an aspiration that you wanted to just not go with that creative flow? Um, a lot of startups are starting out, and, and one of my probably my hang up is that everything over here finishes with NI or begins with NI, mm. and immediately you're geographically locked. Mm. And most businesses don't really care where you are as long as you can deliver. If you're good enough to deliver, if you're coming from Belfast and into London or into Manchester to deliver to Media City, you're good enough. Mm. And and having a location bolted onto your name is of no consequence unless you're firmly rooted here. Oh, I mean, I think it's kind of a, I think it's a sort of a disadvantage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of, it kind of suggests that you know you want to kind of be a big fish in a small pond. Um, and I mean business is increasingly global I met a guy last week from Sweden who had a, ran a digital agency 160 people in Gothenburg um, just an office there nowhere else but global clients um, and, and, and so that's kind of the world we live in you know um, so uh, I, I mean I think to kind of answer your question first and foremost you know uh, I haven't figured it out you know, we're on a journey like everyone else, you know, relative to who we might be talking to might appear to be further on than others, you know, and, and there's others that are sort of like doing amazing things that inspire me. So it's about the journey. It's about, you know, putting yourself out there. It's about being a sponge. It's about learning from every project we do. It's about, you know, finding the sweet spot and, you know, working with great people um, and, you know, the rising tide raises all the ships. So that's number one. The second thing for me is that we... Um, see yourselves first and foremost as uh, like a creative technology studio you know underneath that there's a design process I mean so so really what we are interested in is actually designing these experiences um, and we use you know technology to do that to bring that to life um, so um, yeah I'm not, I'm not sure no the, 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 the overriding sense I get is that the value is in definitely people and perhaps not necessarily, I don't like, the, people talk about intelligence and, or knowledge, and I think knowledge is only empowering if it's intelligently used. You can know a lot of stuff that's irrelevant, and you could know a lot of stuff and use it really badly. Obviously, you know a lot of stuff, and you're able to utilize that to the benefit of your clients. That's, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I think what we've done in the last, um, we certainly didn't kind of go about sort of deciding not to do work in Northern Ireland. Um, we we really don't kind of. Uh, I certainly kind of tend not to kind of look at that sort of as a as a kind of a filter. Uh, the filter for me is the best opportunities to work with the best people. Um, so and there's kind of momentum, you know. I mean, we work in services, so there's always an element of kind of doing, you know, building a relationship with with someone. Uh, you know, you do good work. You you kind of you're a nice person. You know, hopefully people say nice things about you, and then the phone rings, and so so there's that. What we've done in the last few years, and again, we're not there yet, is, is being more conscious about who we are, where the value is, mm-hmm. um, and kind of realizing that, you know what, um, we are a learning organization, like we are a team of people who are motivated and who are performing their best when we are inspired by new stuff. Um, and actually, you know, if we do a project with a client and we look back over our shoulder and realize what we've learned, that's incredibly valuable to someone else. So, so, so you end up kind of having these kind of clusters of activity. We did, we did a product a couple of years ago, which is a sort of a mobile video experience called Roll TV. Suddenly we had a point of view on mobile video. We had something to say and, and we suddenly got inquiries from you know, a number of people um, that led to amazing opportunities, um, some of which we're currently working on. So you know, one door really does lead to another um, but you kind of need to decide um, that you, you, you need to kind of be proactive about what you want to learn because as we said before, otherwise you can kind of learn the wrong stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I th- I think you're probably it's appropriate to qualify the, the um, you know, the location isn't important. I wasn't trying to be disparaging about, about, about this location. There are some really pioneering and, and oh, for sure. such amazing organizations not that far from where we, we sit right now, you know. But I think that. Um, but there are challenges, you know. There's we're an island nation, you know. There are access to talent, you know. Amazing kind of universities here, um, that are kind of pumping out, you know, talented graduates. But there, these are young people with potential, um, and and actually, um, you know, uh, we've been quite successful, you know, the last couple of hires of you know sort of capturing people that have maybe come back and they've they've, they've had a bit of travel, they've kind of gone elsewhere and they've come back. Um, that's actually a really important part of the journey. Without a doubt, there's a, there are a lot of businesses that are trying to pull graduates before they graduate, like in a, at a, <laughs> at a you know a, a pre GCSEA level arrangement, and that some some are actually encouraging them and actually discouraging them from continuing their education mm-hmm. where they're at, and come and work with us, and we'll subsidise your education our way. And there's a lot to be said for getting somebody in and um, you know getting them to understand quickly your methodology, your culture the way you do things, what the expectation is and everything else. And it's refreshing to know that there's that investment in people, um, but it's also good to have a perspective from beyond and to go away and look in and see either from beyond as in another company or another culture or another country and come in and add that value that you take back with you. I think that's very refreshing. Absolutely. What do you think of the market in in Belfast? At the minute, you're working with some really big people in Belfast, so there's a lot of good things going on in yeah, I mean, the, the uh, I, I think there are you know, we're starting to kind of see some really interesting uh, activity in the startup community here. I think Belfast has a sort of layer of you know enterprise tech 
um, we're starting to be some some clusters um, around kind of like financial technology is kind of been a big one here. Cybersecurity is another one, and these are I mean we we're we're a creative team you know we're kind of a, essentially a kind of design studio, um, and and so these are you know traditionally sort of quite dry areas that I don't know a hell of a lot about, um, so so naturally you know we, we sort of drift you know across the water, um, to you know some of the kind of big content owners, publishing houses, broadcasters, people like that, and, and kind of fan out from there. However, you know, there are certainly kind of, uh, you know, uh, some really interesting indies in the kind of entertainment space. You know, time, content. Yeah. content. Um, so, you know, some really interesting projects kind of bubbling uh, in that space. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, there's just, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many startups here now. I mean, the startup world is... One in ten make it apparently, but you know there there are kind of a couple of leading lights um that are kind of making making waves in the out there. So with there's a guy Dan Sullivan he uh, he asks a question that I'm gonna butcher and try and paraphrase that if you were um, talking to yourself in three years time, prefer professionally and personally, but let's just focus on the professional side of things. It's like where do you want to be in five years time? But yeah. uh, intelligently put, I suppose. If you were sitting and having a conversation with yourself in that virtual world that we're, we're looking at in the future and you're having a conversation in three years' time, what do you look back on? What, what, would the, what would the previous three years look like to you? And what was that journey take and what's your aspiration, I suppose, for those, wow. for those years? Um, we've come to the point where we've kind of realised that... Uh, I mean, a couple of years back, we, we kind of experienced like any you know, growing business um, uh, that... You know we're an agency, which means that we sell time, so we're a service business, and and, and that that is uh, it's kind of a challenging business model, um, particularly when the business community wants to talk about venture funded startups. You know they want to talk about IP, they want to talk about you know innovation. Um, so we kind of find ourselves thinking, you know, do we do a startup to try and transform the business model? Um, you know, get out of services and get into IP, um, and and you know, take on funding and scale, and and, and where I kind of got to is realizing that actually, hang on a minute, having tried and failed, you know, a couple of times at that, um, actually what we've done is we've spent ten years, um, learning about how to spot ideas, respond to opportunities, albeit filtered from our clients. Uh, and you know, prototype and, and create kind of experiences, you know, for our clients to kind of engage with their audiences, their users, their customers. And when you when you, I think we kind of stopped for a minute about you know six or twelve months ago, and, and kind of that was a sort of a, a moment that we thought, okay, actually, if we continue on this journey, we can only get better and better and better at that. How about we apply some filters? How about we decide? The industries, the types of clients that we want to work. How about we decide the kind of things that we want to learn? Mm. Okay, so so three years from now, I think we'll look back and we might see that okay, big motive is is emerged, has evolved from you know a creative studio that 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 designed these experiences for clients. I'm going to say experience. It could be kind of you know it could be content. It could be a sort of VR experience. It could be a game. It could be a kind of some sort of platform. It's all about kind of delivering um, uh, interactive experiences that that create and generate value. Um, that might be a utility for an end user or it might be kind of monetary value for our, for our customer. But we look back and see that kind of agency growing um, in terms of geographical reach and significance. 
and, and, and more exciting cool digital stuff but also that we're starting to kind of benefit and cash in on all the stuff that we've learned so so we're actively looking at a kind of a you know a couple of projects at the moment which would fit into that sort of ip space so, so, so suddenly then we become um, an amazing team of people that are still on that learning journey that are still doing amazing things with amazing partners but that actually we've doubled down on our own mm -hmm. intelligence and we've that's focused. critical in that space that is so critical right, because then because then we kind of generate value for all the team so there's other ways for them to for the people that work here that show up every day and, and exercise their creative muscle to kind of experience and benefit from actually putting these ideas out there in the marketplace i think that if you're and i i, I would I'm fairly certain that if you know no dictionary definition of the agency or consultancy is this, but in my head is that you go to a business, at the very least you have more more intelligence to their offering than they already have. Otherwise, you're just a facilitator. If you're a facilitator, you're just responding to tenders. And we had this chat before about being really good at writing good tenders, and your core business is not writing tenders. So after a while, you become a fulfilling that prophecy of tedium of. It's horrible. It's horrible. Awful, yeah. And I mean, you know, in, in any sort of competitive landscape, there needs to be a way to, you know, uh, in a really transparent way of kind of rewarding a contract, right, to a service provider. So, so we need these horrible frameworks to, that we have to compete for. Um, but, but yeah, you, you know, sometimes it gets out of balance. Sometimes you get, you know, large um, groups of service providers trying to compete for a, you know, a small piece of work. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you get caught up in the switch, you end up doing a lot of that, which means that you're spending you know, a large proportion of your time competing for the work rather than doing the work. So you get better at the competition, not the delivery. And three years later, you go again. Right. You know? Well, you, well you're, just on, you're, you're kind of on the wrong wheel. Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, it's 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 all easy to say, but I think this is about the vision that's required, you know, and, and if you're able to stand out for the right reason to a client base, with, you know, that you're you're very confident about the value. Evidently, there is value in your intellect, but you it's it's competence and confidence. You know, mm -hmm. you need to be. We we can do this. We have a track record of failures as well as successes, and this whole notion that that you know, and it's taking a step to the side in this conversation, but the idea that. Um, oh failure oh shocker you know and it, I don't want to be standing up like you know embrace the mistake but you know what embrace the mistake if you don't learn from it then shame totally, on you totally totally you know? the, the, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of exposed to all of these um, ideas that have sort of unfortunately become cliches you know but, that, but that's that's one that I, I, I own that I mean I think uh, I really believe there's no failure just feedback you know I think that's um, I, I've sort of been quite outspoken in, 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 you know, in the presence of team members and, and referred to things as, yeah, totally, you know, we, we royally messed that up, you know, or mm -hmm. we, that was a failure. And being dismissive, dismissive of, of things that, that have happened in our past. Um, and, you know, some of the guys have got quite upset and, and, and corrected me and said, don't, don't say that. Yeah. I suppose the, the, the lesson is that, you know, I'm very comfortable because um, it's kind of a binary thing, you know, it, it, you know things are either successful or they're not. And, and, and if they're not, that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, I reserve the right to kind of decide, you know, whether it was or it wasn't. And because um, I know what, what yeah. I learned. It's um, context again, you yeah, know, completely. Totally about context. Um, right, so I, I, this could go on for hours. I'm, I'm enthralled by this. This is um, I'm brilliant. Thank you for your sort of opening up on your contribution. And 
startups, if there are any listening in, this is a, my probably Mike was my first or second podcast okay. in the real t- sense. I'm not sure, given the weekend that's in it, it might wait for a while. But if you were sitting listening and you were a startup, and I and I don't view a startup as somebody that's sitting there with a you know on the skateboard up in the sands park flying around the corner with a great idea and just mm-hmm. looking for cash. I'm I'm talking about anybody starting up in business because you started off in business, right? So yeah. you, you decided to 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 take the soup so to speak and. and if you were given a piece of advice to to a startup right now, um, what would that be? You, you know, the, the, that's a, it's a ridiculous question because there's probably about four or five things you could offer. But one particular thing you'd want somebody to stand over till their grave so that they don't deviate from this, like this is not up for discussion. You know, you wouldn't be six or seven other people coming in and consulting and saying, yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, but it's the mm-hmm. one thing that you would stand over till you die. What would that be? Okay, I, I can think of two things, um, and, and and I'll qualify this by saying if you ask me in an hour's time, I might come up with a different two things, but the okay. two <laughs> things that I'm thinking about right now, um, and they're cliches, of course they are, right, so it's not something you haven't heard before, but, but honestly, speaking from experience, number one is people, and what I mean by that is, and we know this, Right, and, and, and I was kind of, you know, uh, advised of this by, you know, my mentors, you know, when I kind of left an agency in Dublin and started to do what I'm doing now. Um, and it's taken me until now to kind of figure out that actually when you work with partners and clients where there's genuine empathy on both sides, where there's a real sense of shared vision, when, you know, as a partner, we really feel um, what it is that, that our, our partner is trying to do mm-hmm. and we want the same thing, then good stuff happens. And there, there's a bond and a relationship um, and a sense of kind of standing shoulder to shoulder trying to kind of overcome that. And it's less about providing service to your customer and it's more about actually, you know, really empathically understanding and aligning ourselves to their goals. Because, and that's important because we talk about either working on offense or defense you know you, you, you want to be on offense all the time you want to be finding alignment between our strategic direction our goals and the people we work with and if there's no alignment you, you're kind of just following someone else's plan mm-hmm. right so if we're responding to a brief or we're working on a project that benefits the client but there's no long-term value in it for us um, then that's a no-go so i think finding those people those partners but also the team itself is more important you know, the kind of the, the sense of shared vision. Um, and that takes a long time. Like I kind of feel like I've read every book in the library on, you know, HR and kind of building a team because I didn't know how to do it until I made so many mistakes that we started to get it. Um, and we have a pretty diverse team, but we're in Northern Ireland, so we're not as diverse as we could be. Um, but again, defining culture is difficult, but I know it when I see it. And I think we can feel it. There's a kind of a sense of kind of team here. Um, so it's quite esoteric. It's hard to do. Um, but when you spot it and you can feel momentum and you feel there's a kind of a sense of connectivity, then you kind of try and, you know, extract it and kind of go after more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we become better at hiring. And that, that's just all about people. The people we work with, people that, that work in the team. The second thing is, um, is passion inspiration excitement you know having fun enjoying what you do i, I think it's a it's a conscious decision um to see what you do in business and work as something that you get to do 
not something that you have to do. Yeah. Right, so that's yeah. A, there's a switch that kind of flips there if you're lucky enough to experience Without that. Right. Without that that you that you decide that you're going to kind of you know be half full, look on the bright side, you know, filter out the stuff that doesn't engage you, you're not interested in because you're wasting your time and everyone else's if you're not fully immersed and really engaged and excited about that. I've just found by trial and error that, you know, we do our best work and I'm kind of at my best when I'm really super excited. I mean, if, if anyone asks me how you do new business, how you sell, I think you have asked me this, I would say, I just get really excited about stuff and start talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and maybe there's something in there that um, uh, that's compelling, hopefully. Right. Um, yeah, but but, but you're, you're so just to qual just to sort of qualify some of that, I, I, and I think that um, one of the things that I in the in the journey that I've gone on, which has been you know, I am not the one to talk about mistakes because there are too many, but it's taken me to the point I'm at now, and I think a lot of people don't understand that picture because you are who you are, you know, and you should be be who you are, where you're happy with, and I'm pretty, oh, I'm alright where, where that is, you know, but one of the things in, in the sales uh, environment and, and the delivery of that brand proposition or whatever is, your first job is to be understood, you know, mm -hmm. you need to be able to articulate, so in the startup market, you know, the, the idea that the this unbridled passion and this ability to run around ragged and go, I fucking love my job, mm -hmm. and we're really good at it, and buy two of these because it's really good, and we're going to change the world, You've got to be able to tell me that. And you've got to be able to speak it in the language of several different stakeholders. So financiers, uh, media, your competition. You need to tell your competition what you're at. They need to know that you're either with them competing or not in their space. Mm -hmm. Not because you have to, but because if they don't see the difference, then your message hasn't really been communicated properly anyway. Mm -hmm. And then your customers. And I think the, the first, for me, I get the picture that you sell to me is I get it because you articulate it really well. Mm. And it's not just a one-liner because it can't be a one-liner because it's creative because it's about people. I mean, it's I would, about intelligence. I, I would, I would <laughs> further add that I don't think we've done a good job about communicating what it is that we do, how big motive is distinctive. And um, part of that is, you know, not to beat ourselves up too much. Part of that is, is, is because we're a kind of you know a fluid team, you know, underpinned by you know pursuit of creativity, design, uh, curiosity about you know, emerging technology, right? These are all pillars and paradigms that exist within this team. Um, so so it's kind of a sort of a, you know, a, a bit of a changing landscape. So it's difficult to pin down. Um, however, being inspired um, is where you need to be to kind of create the most value, I believe. Well, that's the ticket to entry in here. You can tell that, you know, in, in this space, if you're, if you're coming back from South by Southwest and you're going, hey, I was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the Abbott brothers. They weren't as good as you thought, Paul. Or, you know, um, yes. You know, Jesus Christ, it's a big place. It's hard to get around. Yeah. You know, when you come back with that kind of like, I'm tired, jet lagged. You know, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. You can't go and listen to people like that. Like the stuff I'm writing down from Kevin Kelly, and just as a aside, a friend of mine worked at Wired way back, way back, and I think it was ninety four, ninety five, wow. and he went on to set up. Um, and remove the date because so you know what Wired was only set up in 99 he worked on Wired because he decided to go on and set up Guardian Unlimited wow. so you know this is the kind of space that the wow indeed you know when you're looking at the media that I was brought up in where it's just about it's been print and it's only ever been print and this is how we do it and this whole thing it, if it's not driven by inspiration it doesn't go anywhere mm -hmm. it just doesn't go anywhere you know yeah. yeah, yeah. and that's really important 
Timmy, listen, thank you very much. Um, thank you. A, that's been really, really... Yeah. It's been telling me what I already know, and hopefully people who are listening um, will get a good feel for, for your business. Um, the old chestnut about your website being under construction is very true. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... What's, what is the URL anyway? It's, so we're at bigmotive.com, all one word. Okay. Um, we are at big underscore motive on Twitter. Um, and we're on Facebook as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people like us are, are always, it's the covers children's, you know, things. So Usual stuff. It's not acceptable anymore. So, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I put the notes on my on my blog and um, I would certainly uh, check them out. Just hang on in there and listen because the story is really good and it's, it's a growing story. And um, I've been very lucky to be sort of hearing some of the conversations beyond today and, I can say it with a degree of authority that um, I sort of watch this space. So, Damien, listen, thanks very much. I'm going to put you out of your misery now, right? Okay. So Thank you, Paul. That's been great. And, uh, <laughs> Likewise. We'll, 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 um, we'll catch up again. Thanks, yeah, everybody. Thanks very much.